I'm not talking about their talent either, which is very good. I came across a story this week of a young man named Lionel Sternberger. Anybody ever heard of Lionel Sternberger? Well, I was going to give whoever heard of him $100. I wasn't going to say that until nobody raised their hands. There we go. <laughs> I was going to make sure nobody raised their hand first. Uh, Lionel Sternberger, he was a young man. He lived uh, 100 years ago. His dad had a sandwich shop in California called The Right Spot. And Lionel, Ben, he was a 16-year-old in 1920. So it was exactly 100 years ago. Uh, he was working his dad's shop, 16 years old. And being 16 years old, working his dad's shop, he worked the grill in the sandwich shop. He made burgers. That was his job. He was burger maker man. And he just made burgers all day long. He was not just flipping them. I mean, he would, you know, you get used to it and going. But there was one particular day, old Lionel making burgers in the sandwich shop made a mistake. I know none of you, when you were 16, ever made a mistake in anything you ever did. You were all perfect. But old Lionel made a little mistake, and he charred one side of a burger he was going to serve to somebody. And that made him a little nervous because, you know, I mean, it's his, it's his father's business. He doesn't want to mess up, doesn't want something to go wrong, and it reflect poorly on his, his dad and his family. And uh, he's picturing things in his mind. The newspaper's talking about how they just burn burgers down at the right spot, and the thing goes out of business, and they have to start living on the street. And so he's, he, he's trying to figure out how to fix this deal. Can't just toss it. The customer's waiting. Uh, the, the, the waiter's coming over saying, we got to take the, take the burger out. Is it ready? So Lionel takes the burger, and he puts it on the bun, and he does something. You're going to find this unbelievable, but it's absolutely true according to the story, uh, that had never been done before. He goes over to the fridge, and he pulls out some cheese, and he puts cheese on the top of the burger, and he pops the bun on it, and he sends it out, say, I added a little something for free uh, to cover up the char. He didn't tell anybody this till much, much later in his life, and they send the burger out, and the customer eats that thing, and it's like heaven opened up, and uh, uh New things begin, and he sent compliments to the chef, and he calls Lionel's dad out there and says, this thing that your son did is the best thing ever in the history of anything. And he makes one for his dad, and he does it, and he puts it on the menu. I was amazed that the cheeseburger was only invented 100 years ago. Uh, and in, um, you know, in a little shop in California by a 16-year-old kid who had thought he had ruined his dad's business by doing this thing. But he had, done, he had made a mistake, or something had happened that was unexpected that was going to be a bad thing, and it ended up being uh, something he could not have anticipated how good it was going to be. We're going to see that very same principle here in Mark chapter 4, where we're going to be today. Mark chapter 4, uh, it's on page 839, if you're using a Bible on the rack, uh, you can find all also on our website. Uh, under the notes for today, Mark chapter 4. So you can all go later, and when you have your hamburger later today, you can thank Jesus for Lionel Sternberg. <laughs> there you go. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been doing his ministry now here in Mark 4 for a little while. He's been going around doing his thing, teaching and, and healing. Well, this one day comes when he's out by the lake, and he's teaching, and it says that the crowd came all about him. Like the crowd was so massive and they were pressing up on him that 
he couldn't really project his voice out to everyone because they were just right there. So what Jesus did is, is he got in a boat that was uh, anchored there right along the shore, and uh, he had them push the boat out a little ways and drop anchor, and he began to teach from the boat to this massive crowd that is gathered there on the shore. And it doesn't tell us a specific number of how many people. I mean, we can theorize up hundreds and thousands of people, um, potentially. But uh, whatever it is, it's right there uh, on the lake, and he's, he's teaching. And he's teaching all day. I mean, he's just giving parable after parable. They'll take a bathroom break. Everybody will go off, and he'll, uh, as you can see in, in Mark chapter 4, if you go read it later, he, he speaks to his disciples a minute, and then he goes back and he teaches the crowd, and then he speaks to his disciples a minute, and then he goes back and he teaches the crowd. And he's teaching all day long. And it gets to the end of the day, and they're going to cross the lake. We're Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. Now, some interesting things are happening right here. So Jesus says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And so they pull the anchor up, they, you know, start going to the other side of the lake. And some interesting things that, that don't always get noticed, it says there were other boats with him. It wasn't just Jesus and his disciples in one boat. There were several boats going with Jesus and his disciples across the lake to follow him and see what was going to happen. This happened often when Jesus would teach on one side of the lake and want to go to the other side. Uh, so there's been other occasions that the crowd would you know, uh, circumnavigate the lake and meet him on the other side. Well, on this particular occasion, guys just jumped in some of the boats that were there, and they start going across. Undoubtedly, there were some entrepreneurial guys, owners of the other boats, charging fees probably as they're going across the lake. But there, whatever it was, there was Jesus, his disciples, and then these other boats that were going with them across, just as he was. That means he was, you know, just as he was, like we saw as he was teaching. He was already in the boat, just as he was in the boat. They went across the lake but they didn't get very far. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Already filling. The waves broke into the boat. That literally means they were thrown into the boat, and it was filling up. Filling up. And they were, from what scholars can tell us and archaeologists about this day and time, I mean, if Jesus and his 12 disciples and probably the owner of the boat were in the boat, the boat was maxed out. A boat probably of this size, it couldn't handle more than what they had in it. They may have been a little bit more than what they probably should have in that boat. But then the storm whips up quickly. And that's something about this area in this particular lake is there were these valleys that were nearby and wind would whip in the valleys and where it was at sea level and uh, the air pressure, it's common for storms to just kick up super fast. And so they're on the lake and they're in this boat and they've got probably more people than you're supposed to have uh, in the boat. I remember as a, as a uh, before I even started work at a church when I was in college, I taught youth Sunday school. And at one point, this is going to be some of your hell, I had... 35 sixth-grade boys in my Ford Focus. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we drove around the parking lot. I guess clown car idea. I don't know. It was, it was terrible. Uh, but, um, that's what you do, I guess. 
And so it's that kind of situation. That's how I picture them in the boat. I mean, they're crammed in this thing. They're going across. The, the, the storm is there, huge. It says a great windstorm. That word is very important for something in a minute. A great windstorm arose, and the waves are filling the boat. So um, put yourself in the position of the disciples. You're in this boat. It's already, you know, a little lower than it probably should be, but now the thing is filling up. Almost half of these guys are fishermen. They spent their lives on boats, and so they knew what was going on. They knew the storm. They could sense it when it was coming, and, and, and as the water's coming in, they're probably trying to scoop it out as quick as possible, and this is a dire situation. This is an extreme situation they find themselves in. This is a bad situation they find themselves in. It's filling. It's, it's uh, filling up with this water. What's interesting is when this happens, they get scared, as you would, right? I mean, if you're in the middle of this lake and it's filling up with water in the middle of a storm, no matter how good of a swimmer you are, that's a bad situation. I remember when a friend of mine drowned in a lake uh, he wasn't the best swimmer, but he could float. But there wasn't a storm, but there was just a slight wind causing some waves on the lake and, and a, 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 a current under the water, and that caused him to drown. So um, this is a huge storm. If they get into the water, it's over for them. So they're scared. They're scared about what could be happening. But remember what Jesus had said to them, back up in verse 35, let us go across to the other side. Jesus had given them a word. We're going to go across to the other side. They had received a word from Jesus. It was directional. We're going to go across to the other side. It was hopeful for the future. To the other side. We're going to go that way. But somewhere in the storm, they had forgotten the word from Jesus. Somewhere in the storm, they had forgotten his, his word to them. You see, a word from Jesus is easily received when the weather is nice, but it's also easily neglected when the storm rages. A word from Jesus is easily received when the weather is nice. Oh, that sounds great, Jesus. We're going to go across the other side. But the second the storm kicks into gear, we neglect what he says. I mean, they're with Jesus, the miracle man, the teacher. They've been with him. They've seen him do incredible things. And they're with him, and he's in the boat. And the storm whips up, and their fear kicks in, and they forget everything he said. We're going to go across to the other side. And they begin to rely on their fear more than their faith in what Jesus has already told them. Anybody ever done that? You're in the middle of a situation, and you forget what Jesus told you. Or you forget what you just read in Scripture. Right? I'll say, I've done it, and I'm the preacher. <laughs> You're in the middle of the, the throes of the storm, and you forget. You neglect it there. Jesus had instructed the disciples, let's get in the boat, let's go across. The storm came, and we forget a lot when the storm comes. See, the, Jesus said, let's go across. The disciples were faithfully obedient as they were led across the lake. And they're in the boat, they're going across the lake, and the storm comes. We might say, I mean, if you look at the situation, and some of us, I know some of you in the room have told me this, Jesus led me into the storm. Jesus led me into the storm. But look at the order of things. What happened first? Jesus said, let's go across the lake. And then the storm came. 
The storm came after they obeyed. The storm came after they were faithful to what Jesus told them to do. The storm came after. So if we say Jesus led us into the storm, we would be wrong. The storm came because they obeyed. I firmly believe if they had gone by land, the storm would have come on land. The storm came after they had obeyed. The storm wasn't already there and they sailed into it. They sailed and then the storm came. The storm came. You see, because storms will always find the faithful. Always find the faithful. No matter where you are, the storm is going to come. If you're outside long enough, you're going to get rained on. The storms will always find the faithful. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you are faithful, that it's always raining on you. That's not what that means. It also doesn't mean that if you are faithful, you need to look for the storms because that's a sign of God's provision. That's not what it means either. It just means that if you're following God's direction, the enemy's going to send things after you every single time. Every time. And so we always have to be on our guard. Are my eyes on Jesus or am I neglecting the word he's given me? Am I stepping in faith in where he is taking me, or have I forgotten what he's given me to do? See, these disciples, these 12 disciples, and it's, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been through Scripture a whole lot, the Gospels. It's easy to rag on the disciples because they make bonehead decisions all the time. But if anybody were to write down you and my interactions with Jesus, it would be a lot of bonehead decisions that we've made and how we have wandered away. And they say, man, they really messed that up. And so we're glad people don't write down everything we do, right? Can I get an Amen. Yes, yes. Some of your spouses said, amen. Write down everything we do. But here these guys are going across. They've forgotten the word Jesus told them. They've forgotten, actually, that the Son of God is in the boat. But he's not simply in the boat, standing alongside, scooping the water out with them. Where is he? Verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Knowing some of these guys, they probably said some other things too. Uh, but Mark cleaned it up. Mark, we believe, who wrote this gospel, got a lot of his information from Peter. So when Peter's telling Mark, he may have cleaned up some of the things he said in that moment. Do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus is asleep on a cushion. On a cushion. Now, we don't know what kind of cushion this was. There's some archaeologists who tell us it was probably a sandbag because they kept different weighted sandbags. They put them on different sides of the boat as they were going across to keep it balanced. Uh, they had sandbags of up, you know, 50 pounds and 100 pounds. So it could have been one of those deals. But Jesus is laying on this thing, and he's asleep in the stern. He's just sleeping. The storm's raging. They're freaking out. They're screaming. And they have to go over and wake him up. And they Now, look at what they say to him. Teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? I find this interesting. They call him teacher, but they're not listening to the teaching he had already given them. He said, we're going across the lake. And now they call him teacher, and they fear they are dying before they get to the other side. They're saying, teacher, we're not going to make it. They believed their experience of the situation more than they believed Jesus' word from verse 35. They believed that their experience was more faithful or was something they could have more faith in than the word from Jesus, the faithful one. And so this storm that was blowing on them, they felt was going to be their end, was going to be the end 
of them. Jesus in the boat. They thought they were going to die, and Jesus is still there. He's told them his time is not come yet, and yet they still think this is the end. That this is going to be the end of them, the end of Jesus. But the thing about this storm, even as it was raging, even as it was filling the boat up, the storm could not blow away his word, and the storm could not knock him out of the boat. The storm may have seemed powerful and felt powerful to the disciples, but the storm wasn't powerful enough even to wake Jesus up. So even though to them the experience of the storm was overwhelming, and they thought, I can't do this anymore, this is going to be the end of everything, it wasn't even that powerful because Jesus was still asleep. And he was asleep because... (laughs) He was asleep because of where his faith was. He knew, in God, he knew of God's provision. He knew of God's strength. I can remember as a little kid when we lived in Cleburne, Texas, and we had tornadoes all the time. All, I mean, I have lots of memories of tornadoes. Of, uh, but they would, my parents would come and get us in the middle of the night when tornadoes would come and bring us into the hallway and, and pull the mattresses off of my bunk beds and put them over us like a little, you know, tent in the hallway. And, but dad was never there. He was always listening to the radio out on the front porch watching. And I would fall instantly asleep. That may have been where my spiritual gift of sleep came from. That uh, I was able just to go right back to sleep like that. Not because I wasn't scared of the storm, but because I was secure that my father was watching out for us. And here these guys are, they're panicking because they forgot about Jesus. Jesus is a panicking because he knows his father. Jesus is asleep and secure in his father. Jesus is unfazed by the strength of any storm. No matter the storm you're experiencing, whether it be the voices of other people, whether it be a health thing, whether it be a financial thing, whether it be the world stage and all that's going on at the moment, Jesus is unfazed by the strength of any storm. Or we should say the perceived strength of any storm. He has a right assessment of how strong any storm really is, and any storm's strength in comparison to the strength of Jesus is nothing. Jesus is unfazed by any of it. And so when the storms in our lives seem overwhelming and seem strong, and your perception of a storm doesn't negate the fact that it is strong, but we should not look to the storm to determine its strength. We should look to Jesus. And so when the storm is blowing and the waves are crashing and we feel overwhelmed and the wind is coming, we've got to cling to him as our security in the storm, as our anchor in the storm. What does that mean? You say, that sounds great, preacher. What does that mean? It means get with him more. Pray more. Ingest more scripture. Pull it in. I mean, I've given you the, the, I mentioned the book a few weeks ago about George Mueller, a man who has more faith than I've ever seen anybody in the history of the world. And you know what he did? He read scripture 300 times front to back from the time he was saved until the time he died. Where did his faith come from? Did he concoct it out of his mind? Out of it? No, he got it from Scripture. Scripture. The storm's blowing. Where do you go? Scripture. Don't focus on the storm. The wind's going to keep blowing whether you look in it or not. You've got to look to Scripture, your anchor, your strength, the Word. Uh, that's not just something we throw around, the Word of God. These are the words of God that he gave 40-some-odd people to write down so we can have them 
He's still going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you through this. He's going to speak to you through prayer. So that's where our anchor is. As the storm blows, what happens? We need more anchor. We need to cling to our anchor. Cling to it. So these guys, they do the right thing. They turn to Jesus. Even though they turn to him, not necessarily because... I mean, really, as we're going to see their response to this, they turned to him not necessarily because they think he can do something about their situation, probably because they needed somebody else to help shovel the water. Look at what happens. He awoke, verse 39, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. How did he describe the storm earlier? There was a great windstorm. But when it encountered Jesus, there was great calm. So no matter how great the storm, Jesus always brings calm. He rebukes the... Now, look at this, too. This is something I noticed just a little bit ago. He rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, we don't get the words that Jesus said to the wind. This is a windstorm that's here. But Mark doesn't record the words that Jesus said to the wind. He just records the words that Jesus says to the water. I don't know why. I just find that very interesting. It's just one of those things. Like, why does he not tell us what he said to the wind? Why only what he said to the sea? It doesn't really matter. All that matters is Jesus stopped it. He stopped the storm. He woke up to the response. He responded to the pleas of his disciples. Even though the disciples weren't pleading in faith, they were pleading in fear, he still responded to their pleas. And he woke up, and he rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, peace, be still, and everything stops. I mean, just try to imagine that for a second. Wind flying over the uh, over the boat and the waves crashing over the sides and filling the bottom and all of a sudden it's just calm and the boat's just causing ripples now in the water. It's not the waves causing the ripples, it's the boat because it's responding to the movement inside it now. Just quiet. You ever been in the, in the middle of a situation where it's really, really loud and then really, really quiet like that? It's like you can like hear the silence kind of a situation. That's what we got going on here. Great calm, great quiet. Jesus is there. The disciples are there. Their, draw, their jaws instantly drop open. And Jesus turns to them. Verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they thought, now this is fascinating to me. They believed in faith because they'd seen it. Jesus can do miracles. He can reproduce food. He can raise the dead. He can give blind people sight. People who've never walked, he can make them walk. He can teach these amazing things and draw stuff out of Scripture. But it never crossed their mind that he would have more power than nature. So when it's displayed before them, they're blown away that Jesus would have that much power. Because it was a common thinking in this day and time that only the divine had power over nature. And so now they get it, even though they don't really know what they get. 
Jesus just showed them that he is God. He said it, and now they see it. And they, they're, they're trying to embrace what they're seeing, and they can't quite do it. They're in awe of what's happening here. Who is this? Who is this? But back up for a second. Look at Jesus' words when he responds to him. He says two sentences. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He contrasts fear with faith. Doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. And this word he uses for afraid isn't just the normal word for fear. It's the word for cowardly. Why are you still so cowardly? Where is your faith? So not only is fear the opposite of faith, the way he says it, why are you so cowardly, is that courage is a synonym of faith. Courage is a part of faith. If you have faith, courage is displayed in it. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so cowardly? Have you still no faith? Imagine that. You come out of a situation, imagine being the disciples, that you are are overwhelmed with fear, and then somebody turns to you and says, why are you being a coward? What would be your response in that moment? Not very kindly, I would imagine. But these guys also just displayed Jesus, just stop the wind and the waves and the storm. And he says, why are you guys being cowards? Where is your faith? Where is your faith Because courage is a synonym of faith, faith in Jesus is courage in life. If we have faith, you know, we mentioned some weeks ago that faith isn't necessarily something that you like turn on a dial. It's more like a switch. You turn it on in different areas of your life. And if faith is turned on in a particular area of your life, what Jesus is is showing us here is that courage is turned on in that area. If you're trusting Jesus in a particular area of your life, there will be courage there. No matter, I mean, it may be small, but it will be there. If there is faith in Jesus, there will be some level of courage. Courage, and it can be for anything. Courage may be, you need, maybe you need to have faith in different areas of your life right now. Maybe you need to have courage in those areas. Courage to start a business. Courage for healing. Courage to have that conversation you've been avoiding with that family member. Courage to take that one step that he's asked you to take over and over. Courage to have that conversation about the gospel with that person. Courage to step up and do what he's called you to do. Maybe it's courage to keep your mouth shut about a, a specific topic that ruins your witness for Jesus. And somebody may say, why are you being a coward? But in truth, you know on the inside you're not. You're being courageous for Jesus. Because you know if you let those words out of your mouth, then they're going to think you're not a Christian, and you're going to ruin your opportunity to send them to heaven. So courage can be saying something for Jesus, but courage can be not saying something that will ruin you in the eyes of somebody for Jesus. Because it's all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Now, I in, in, in these situations, I don't know how you read Scripture, but I tend to inject myself in this, in this situation and think, how would I respond? And the disciples being there in the boat, I can see myself responding similarly to them. You know, because when the storm starts, I tend to have faith in the people who built the boat. That's why they were panicking. They had they didn't have enough faith in the people who built the boat. They, what they were thinking was the storm is stronger than the skill of the people who built our boat. 
And so they were having, their faith in the people who built the boat was, was waning. And that tends to happen oftentimes with myself. I have more faith in the people who built the boat than the one who can stop the storm. And so their response illustrated that. Their panic in the filling of the boat was they believed the storm they were encountering was stronger than the boat that had been built by human hands. And that can illustrate that way or illustrate itself in our lives when we have more faith in in earthly uh, uh, problem-solving capabilities of our own brain power or somebody else's or our own cleverness or the plan we have devised when it, you know, just falls apart and then we fall apart because our faith was in the plan we created and not the one who created us. You see, when we have more faith in the boat than the storm stopper, we're going to (laughs) be, our boat's going to crumble every single time. Our faith needs to be in the storm stopper. That's the only way we're going to get through the storm. Faith in the storm stopper weathers the storm, whether he stops the storm or not. Faith, now, leave that up there for a second. Catch the last part of that. Faith in the storm stopper weathers the storm whether he starts or stops the storm or not. My faith in Jesus does not depend upon him doing what I want every single time. My faith in Jesus is completely dependent upon who he is. Period. End of thought. Whether he stops the storm or not, he was still in the boat with the guys. Whether he stopped the storm or not, he was still with them. His word that he said, we're going across to the other side, still stands, whether he stopped it or not. So whether in your life situation, he he completely fixes the situation you want it to be and and stops the storm, does not, uh, or whatever happens, does not change the fact that he is still the storm stopper. Even if the storm doesn't stop. He still has the ability. He's still the thing we can cling to in the storm. We will not get blown away if we're clinging to him because he won't get blown away ever. And so it's where are we clinging? Where is our faith? Where are we dependent? Is our, uh, uh, are we having more fear than faith? If my fear is related to the storm being stronger than my boat, then that's a way I can know that my faith is in the boat maker and not the storm stopper. The storm stopper is where the faith needs to be. You see, going back to when I was a kid, I remember the first time I was mowing the yard. The first time, you know, as... We all, if, if you ever own property, you, you are cursed with the ability to mow the yard. And I remember that first time having the push mower, you know, and this was back in the day before you had the lever that made it go for you kind of deal. And so I'm pushing this thing and pushing it, uh, you know, trying, having never done it before, I can, I can go right back there. I remember I was like seven or eight mowing the front yard of our house in Cleveland, Texas, And I did not have faith in my ability to mow the yard. But I knew, because out of the corner of my eye, I knew my dad was standing in our dining room watching me. So I, he could have come out and he could have done it himself. But instead, he stood there and he watched me do it. I could get through it because I knew he was with me. 
we can get through the storm because we know our Father is with us. Even if the storm doesn't stop, even if the water keeps pouring in and we don't get across to the other side until the water is almost at the brink of the boat, we can still get through it if we rely on the one who's with us in the boat. Our faith needs to be on the storm stopper. Our faith needs to be on Jesus, and that's the only way we can get through. That's the only way we can get through. You know, there's another time these guys are in a boat and there's a storm coming and they freak out again. Because Jesus wasn't in the boat. And then when Jesus came to them walking on water, they still did not believe and they thought he was a ghost. Jesus is there always. He gives us that promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you, Matthew 28, to the very end of the age. That means the end of everything. That means when the world is finally destroyed in Revelation. So he's with us until there's nowhere else to be here. He's with us always. He's in the boat with us. So is our faith in him or not? Is our faith with him or not? Are we relying on him or the maker of the boat that we're sitting in? Where is our faith? Where is our faith? Is it in Jesus or not? So when we have these situations coming where, where some of you have been sharing with me over these last few weeks, of we've been walking through big faith and what that looks like to have big faith, that God has given you things you need to have big faith in. Are you prepared to do that even if the, when the storm comes? And if you're going to follow Jesus, the storm is always going to come. Always. You count on it. It's going to rain. Because stepping out in faith in Jesus means you're stepping outside your comfort zone. Remember what I said earlier. If you're outside long enough, it's going to rain on you. And so you step outside of your comfort zone, the storm's going to come and it's going to hit. And when it hits, where's your faith going to be? In the storm stopper, whether he stops it or not, Or is it going to be in the plan you had devised and already laid out? Is it going to be in the strength of the vehicle you're traveling in? Or is it going to be in the very one who created all things? Who will not get blown away by the strength of the storm? Who brings great calm? Whether he brings great calm to the storm or great calm to your heart, great calm will come if you find it in the great one. Is your faith in Jesus or not? Are you having faith in Jesus or not? Where is your faith? For me, in in, in studying this these last few weeks, it was an assessment for me. I see these guys in the panic, and when I had that revelation of, well, they thought the storm was stronger than the skill of the guy who made the boat. I, I had to come to the realization, man, I do that all the time. I do that all the time. Have a whole lot of faith in the strength or the skill of the one who created the boat, in the strength or the skill of the one who, you know, maybe created the vehicle as we're traveling down the highway or or, or who came up with the software that I'm using on my computer or I have faith in the one who did, who, who created these pews you're sitting in that are bolted to the foundation. I have faith in all this stuff. But where in the midst of that is my faith in Jesus? Do I just take Jesus and just give him one slice of the pie, like the Sunday morning slice, that's Jesus. And I, I, I take my faith and I turn it on in all these other areas and just faith, faith in myself when it comes to my finances, faith in myself when it comes to my job, faith in myself when it, when it comes to, to shopping at Walmart, faith in myself when it comes to how I'm going to vote, faith in myself when it comes to all these different areas, but I just give Jesus this one little piece. 
But if I just give Jesus this one little piece on Sunday, but then it starts raining on Thursday morning, I'm not anchored to the one who can take care of me. It's, it's a deal where we need to change our priority list and not just put Jesus first, but put Jesus in every category. So that it's not just him having one slice of the pie, it's him having a, it being injected into every single piece so that when it comes to Thursday and it starts raining, we're good because he's with us in the boat. So are you going to bring Jesus with you? You see where it said, back up at the beginning of that passage, uh, verse 36, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. They started sailing with Jesus in the boat because he was already in the boat with them. Is Jesus in your boat today? Is he in your boat? Wherever you're going, has he given you a word of where to go? Let us go across to the other side. Has he given you a word? Are you relying on that word or are you relying in fear on the strength of the storm? Where has he told you to go and is he in your boat as you go? Because that's the only way you're going to find success. That's the only way you're going to find the blessing is if Jesus is with you in the boat. Is he in your boat today? First, do you believe in him, that he is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die? Do you believe in him? That's foundational. That's step one, believing in Jesus. That's where the faith begins. And at that moment, he gets in your boat. He gets in with you. Will you rely on him when the storm comes? What storms are you facing right now? I knew I was getting up here to preach this today. I've been mulling this one over for, I mean, this passage for weeks. These specific outline since Monday morning. I knew it. And you know what happened the second I woke up this morning to go exercise? The enemy started picking me apart. Picking me apart. I mean, he, and he, he worked on it for about an hour. And then I had to start preaching to myself and say, you know what? I've got this word from Jesus. Faith in the storm stopper weathers the storm. Faith in Jesus is courage in life. Courage is a synonym of faith. If he's in my boat, I can sail across no matter how hard the storm gets, even if the storm is only in my head. If I'm anchored in him, I can weather any storm. I'm weatherproof, which is the name of this sermon, weatherproof. But we, being weatherproof doesn't mean anything if you're not encountering bad weather. Are you weatherproof today?